Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat sermon by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. The reason we called this service Allah Beitenu is because I wanted to do a text study with all of you which is most commonly done in Beitenu, though I know that during the summer we do it all over Temple Betham. This week, I had the pleasure and the obligation of writing four different somethings about the parasha. I wrote something for the Jewish Journal. I wrote a eulogy. I wrote this uh, source sheet. And... I wanted for us to be able to go deeply into a subject that I didn't already write about. So I'm going to tell you two stories. They will sound as if they have nothing to do with one another, but then we're going to bring them together in our understanding of this idea of Shemitah. When I lived in Israel in 2014 and 2015, it was a Shemitah year. I never lived in Israel before. And I knew what Shemitah was because I had read the Torah. But quite frankly, I didn't know what that meant for me as a person living in Israel. I didn't know how it would affect me. I'm not a farmer. So I assumed that it would just be another general year. For those of you who have also lived in Israel during a Shemitah year, it completely changes the way that you shop for groceries. It completely changes the items that are on a menu in a restaurant because the crops are not necessarily as abundant. They might be one week and then the next week they are not. But because new things are not being planted once the Shemitah year begins, you're using up what you have rather than creating more. So I remember a particular Shabbat, I was asked to go to, um, or invited over to someone's home. They asked me to bring strawberries. I went to the Shuk. They didn't have strawberries. I went to the Makolet, the little... uh I don't know what a good word is for my call. Little like convenience store sort of um, down the block from my house. They didn't have strawberries. I went to the grocery store. They also didn't have strawberries. So I brought blueberries. But they they just didn't have them. It wasn't that they were out of stock. It wasn't that they were living through a pandemic and they couldn't get them. There were no more strawberries. One story. The second story is... When I was in, I guess, going into 10th grade, you typically, with Camp Ramah, go to, maybe going into 11th grade, going to 11th grade, you typically, with Camp Ramah, go on what is called Israel's seminar. It was the beginning of the second intifada, and my family decided that it was not safe for me to go. A lot of my friends went, they were all fine, but my family decided that it was not safe for me to go. So I missed out on on an experience that my brothers after me had and my friends were having. And instead, I went to England and France with my grandparents, which was a remarkable trip and different than the experience that I thought I would be having going on Israel seminar. Both of these stories have within them loss and gain a sense of release, and yet a sense of getting something else. With the strawberry experience, I didn't have strawberries. Okay, fine, everyone lived. 
but I was able to still have a beautiful Shabbat experience. And within going around all of Jerusalem to try to find strawberries, I also gained the experience of living through Shemitah, which we don't live through here in America. With the trip to, to England and to France, I gained a remarkable experience with my grandparents, one that I probably will never have again in the type of, uh, in the way that they put it together and the itinerary that we went through. My uncle showed up and surprised me. It was a remarkable trip. And yet, I didn't have the experience of going to Israel with my friends as a 15 or 16-year-old. So there's a sense of release of something that you might have expected, but there's also a sense of bringing in to your life. For those of you who have the source sheet in front of you, we're going to be going through the source sheet. Those of you who do not have the source sheet, we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy 15, verse 1. And we're going to skip around and I'll make sure to mention the different verses that we read. This verse, this first verse is, Miketz Sheva Shanim Ta'ase Every seven years, you're going to release, you're going to practice this sense of release, which we now call a sabbatical year or Shemitah. Okay. It's pretty straightforward. Every seven years, you're going to let everything lie fallow. And we're going to go on to understand that that also has to do with debts. And it also has to do with any vows that you've made. This shall be the nature of the remission. Every creditor shall remit the due that he claims from his fellow. He shall not make demands on his fellow or kinsman. For the remission proclaimed is of Adonai. So Shemitah is given to us by God. And therefore, we shouldn't hold against anybody else anything that they might have said that is due to us or that we that we owe to them. At, at seven years, it's a it's a game changer. It's a new <clears throat> excuse me. It's a new slate, a blank slate. So, what does Rashi say on this verse? He says it means as much as. There shall be a relaxing of the hand of every creditor. So you see this sense of actual engagement by the person, right? The hand of the creditor, not just the person who is dealing with what that might do to how you feel about another person inside yourself, in your brain, the stress it might cause you, but literally in your hand, something that you need to either give or take. Chizkuni says, this year even releases a person from fulfilling an undertaking confirmed by an oath. So it's not just land. It's not just that someone owes you $5. It's also about an oath, something that either you promised yourself or you promised another. If a person had undertaken, he continues, to do something for his fellow and confirmed it by an oath, the advent of the end of the last day of the Shemitah year releases him from it as if he had made good on his promise until then. If Sorry, if he had not made good on his promise until then. That changes, changes the meaning. So if we were in a room together with me able to ask you a question and hear your responses, I would say to you, what does that mean for you? And I would love for you to think about that on your own. 
What does it mean for you to potentially live through a year where you are letting go because God tells you to, because you have no choice, because it's the law? We let go. But what does that do for you? What does that do for your hand that you reach out or take in? What does that do for you emotionally to let something go? A few verses later, verse 4, the Torah says, There shall be no needy amongst you, since Adonai your God will bless you in the land that your God is giving you as a hereditary portion. There will be no needy. Ephes evyon. Evyon is a word that's even more so than the word ani, that we, which means poor. It's like destitute. It's complete poverty. And what the Torah is telling us here is that's not going to exist. Now, these two lines, there's a verse in between, verse 15.3, which I didn't put in here, but these two things have nothing necessarily to do with one another, the Shemitah and the needy amongst you. And yet I'm going to claim in a moment that in fact they have a lot to do with the other. The line... Uh, sorry, excuse me, a few lines later, verse 7. So 15.4, they talk about how there's not going to be any needy amongst you. And then it goes on to talk about what if there are, what does that mean, what do you give them? And then in verse 7, it says, If, however, ki there will be. The English is assuming that there might be. The Torah is telling you there will be. When there is before you an Evion, a person of destitution, one of your kinsmen in any of your settlements in the land that Adonai your God is giving up, do not harden your heart and shut your hand against your needy kinsmen. So remember that hand before that we were talking about in terms of the, the debt owed or the needing to receive money that was once promised to you, here too we're talking about a hand. But this time, we want to make sure that your hand does not close up, that you don't decide that you are not going to help that person. You need to make sure, in fact, that you do. So here, one line of our Torah is saying, there will not be anybody who needs that help, and then the Torah realizes, wait a second, actually, of course there will be. Of course there will be people who need that help, And in fact, all the more so, once you realize that those people need that help, you need to open your hand. You need to release yourself of something that is yours to help another person. If you're on this source sheet at the bottom here, I explain a little bit what the Shemitah Shemitah year actually is. If you don't have the source sheet, feel free to to find it in the bulletin after Shabbat. I'm not going to read through the definition um, right this moment, but I will say that this idea of release, this idea of giving something up, of being okay with the fact, not necessarily happy with, but okay with the fact that something is not happening the way that you expected, is the life we are living right now. We're not living through a Shemitah year, and we live in America, so it wouldn't even matter if we were living through a Shemitah year, because the Shemitah only only affects Israel, but we're not. It's not a Shemitah year yet. 
It will be next year. Next year? Next year. But we are living through a type of Shemitah right now. We're living through a type of time where we need release. We need to understand that there is an aspect of letting go. And that that means that if we are letting go, that there are other people that need us to give. If we are letting go of not being able to go to restaurants, or we are letting go of not going to shul, or we are letting go of not going into places that we think might be more populated, our job living through this proverbial Shemitah year is to think about the people that that affects because we've given it up. We've let that go. But for someone else, it's affecting them. And not necessarily in a bad way, but in a way. If we're not going to restaurants any longer, they're not getting our business. If we're not going to shul, we might feel disconnection. There are people on the other side of that who have not yet let that go. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to let it go. But we need to think about the people, the people of destitution in this Torah portion that we're talking about here, who expect for us to give because they will need us to give. They don't have anything to let go. So we need to give to them. The Torah goes on to say, now we're on verse 11, so chapter 15, verse 11. For there will never cease to be needy ones in your land, which is why I command you, I, God, command you to open your hand to the poor and needy kinsmen in your land. The Lekute Moharan, which is the the work, the book that was um, that was put out by Rabbi Nachman of Bratzlav, says a beautiful piece about this idea of patoch tiftach. You shall surely open your hand. It would have been good enough to just say, poteach et yadecha, which we say in the ashray. Open up your hand. But no, the Likute Moharan says, there's more to it because we say patoch tiftoach. We say it twice in two different conjugations. We say open, open. You shall surely open. Make sure that your hand is open. If you thought that Tiftoach was just a, okay, please open. No, no, no. Please open, but also surely open. You need to hear it twice to make sure you do it for sure. Rashi says that the reason it says it twice is because you should do it over and over again, not just once. The Likute Moharan, so Rabbi Nachman of Bratzlav writes, and charity is always beginning as in this verse, open, you shall open. Even where an opening and a beginning already exist, charity opens more and more, widening the opening further. When a person wants to embark upon a particular path and devotion in worshiping God, she needs to make an opening in order to enter that path. This is, as in all beginnings are difficult, because at the beginning, one must break through and open a new entrance. It is therefore very difficult, yet the remarkable power of charity is that it can widen and open the opening more and more. When we make an opening in some devotion and give charity, the charity opens and widens the opening more and more. This is because charity is the beginning of all beginnings, for it opens and widens all the entrances. 
there's something, there's something powerful. There is something challenging about the idea that once you give, that you will have enough. And yet what the Lakute Moharan is saying, when you give, that opens you up not only to give more, but it opens you up to relationship. It opens you up to opportunity. It opens you up to mitzvot. And by the way, I just want to make it clear if I haven't yet, I'm not talking about giving monetarily only, right? I think it's nice when we can give of our means, if we have means to give. But you can give of your time. You can give food. You can give love. You can give support. And in giving... There are elements of your energy that is deprived. There are things that are taken away from you if you are making food for someone else. You obviously do not have that food any longer in your home because you're making it for someone else. However, you haven't lost out. You've now just opened a door to new plentiful relationship and connection. This idea of release to me is extremely um, illustrative of at least how I feel during this time. There is a lot that we have given up. There's a lot that we've said, okay, I'll let go of this or I'll let go of that. And yet there's so much more that we gain if we let that go and move on to what the opening is. As soon as a family realizes that the bar mitzvah, the funeral, the wedding is not going to look exactly the same, they have the ability to open up to think about what's the creative possibility for letting more family involved than we ever thought possible. As soon as I let go of the fact that I would be doing services via electronics that I would never be using on Shabbat, it opens me up to the possibility of not having a Shabbat alone. It allows me to be with all of you. And that's extremely powerful. Thank you for the thumbs up, Brand. That's extremely powerful. Because if I had not let go, if I had held on, if I had not thought about it as Shemitah, as something that is a year long but then ends, I wouldn't have had the opportunities that I have had during this time to experience because I would have been closed off. If you don't help the person who is destitute or is in need of your comforting, you haven't opened yourself up to the opportunity to have a relationship with that person and for them to help you one day if you need it. The New York Times had an article that was all about this idea that during coronavirus, people are letting go. So I'm going to read you a quote from this article by Ruth LaFerla. I hope I'm saying her name correctly. What I have learned during this interval is that it can be liberating, even enlightening, to sign on with a sisterhood, people of varying ages, racial and social backgrounds, professions and styles, openly engaging in a little self-neglect. We may be reminded of Jermaine Greer, who famously said, if a woman never lets herself go, how will she ever know how far she might have got? If she never takes off her high-heeled shoes, how will she ever know how far she could walk or how fast she could run? 
For years, outrageous social media displays have aggravated FOMO, the fear of missing out. Now we can revel in the joy of letting go. Technically, (laughs) J-O-L-G-O, but amalgamated with you only live once. I want to finish with a quote from my teacher, Remimi Feigelson, who wrote particularly about this coming Elul. And we just said the blessing for the beginning of Elul, which will be next week. And my blessing to all of you is that in this next week before Elul begins, you think about what does it mean to live this life right now? What does it mean to be in a period of time that is a personal Shemitah? There are things that we will have to give up. There are things that we will have to let go. But the idea of Shemitah is that the year after, the crops are so much more beautiful and so much more plentiful and the farmers are rested and the people who work that land have new ideas of how they can do that better. So if we are living right now in our own Shemitah, what does that mean for us to be able to, on the other side of this Shemitah year, be able to say, I learned from this that I could X, Y, and Z. I recognize that with my extra time, I was able to do something for someone else. I realized that I had a hobby that I never thought I would enjoy. And to be able to not necessarily see that as a silver lining, because I think that is hard to do, but to be able to see it like we see the Shemitah year, which is at the end of the Shemitah year, we have new crops. At the end of this experience, we will have new growth. We will have new, shiny, beautiful, luscious foods to eat if we can just figure out what it is that we need to let go to then bring back in at the end. Reb Mimi says, I beg you to use this Elul to reclaim what COVID has claimed. She quotes also Rebbe Nachman of Bratslav, that God holds on to that which we have lost until we are ready to reclaim it. We need to hold on to each other and help reclaim that which we have lost. Or, as I will add, help others and ourselves let things go. Shabbat Shalom. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tba.org.